Welcome to episode 32 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rigaby. On Stageworthy, I interview people who make theater actors, directors, playwrights, and more, and talk to them about everything from why they chose the theater to their work process and anything in between. Ryan Cerro is a Hamilton-based actor and writer and the artistic director of Make Art Theater. Ryan's play Anybody Else is currently playing to rave reviews at the Hamilton Fringe Festival. Our conversation was recorded at the Baltimore House in Hamilton. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or Google Music or whatever podcast app you use, and consider leaving a comment or rating. It's a comedy about a guy trying to find himself and trying to find the meaning of life and mm-hmm. happiness and uh, save his relationship if he can, all with the help of Sigmund Freud. <laughs> is it a, is it a, a one-person show or is it three a, people? Three people. Yeah, yeah. three people. Um, and um, I I play the the lead um, and and sort of like a half other part kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The other two actors play. Three or four parts each. Is it written by you? Yes, it is. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And you're producing it yourself. And I'm producing yeah. it. Yeah. I'm not quite the raving egomaniac that it would take to, <laughs> to direct it as well. No. So I've got uh, Tyler Brent is directing it. It's important to have that extra, that outside eye. I don't. I feel like I could do any two of the three. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say the big three, even though I recognize that sound design and mm-hmm. costume design and choreography and stuff is all extremely important to a show as well. I'm not knocking those ones but to me when I say the big three I'm talking about directing acting and writing yeah I, I feel for myself like I could do I could write and I could act but I don't think I could direct if I'm acting yeah because I don't have yeah and th- that to me would be the hardest hurdle to jump over would be to go from would be to, to be able to direct yourself yeah and I've seen it done I've seen it where people have have done all three or where people have directed and starred in and you go that actually was good but I've also seen it go the other way, where you look at their performance and you're like, "See, you thought you were yeah. pushing yourself, and you really weren't." I think it's I think it's rarer than people think yeah. to be able to direct yourself successfully. I think it's because we have a bad example set by Hollywood. Yeah, and it, I think it works in Hollywood because you can watch the dailies. Well, that's the, you can not only watch the dailies, you can like have immediate playback, so you yeah. can finish your shoot, go over and see how it looked, and yeah. decide if it's a thing that you're going to keep. Yeah. You oh, I didn't like that. I didn't like when I did that thing. I'm going to do a. I'm going to do a third take, yeah. and we're going to do it this way this time. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, whereas, whereas with, and even that, even then, it requires a very self-critical eye who can recognize the scene's not working and it's my fault because yeah. I'm doing this. And even that would be a very. But but we see it done successfully. And this is the other thing is that when we see it done, it's because it worked. Yes. You know, we, 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 we see it done by, by certain people who do it, because not every director no. reviews their own work with good reason. Um, and when we see it done, we go, see, they did it, they did it, you know. And um, and I think that oftentimes we think, therefore, I can do it, even though in order to get to that position, such and such a director, actor, has done 25 years yeah. of studying and careful, meticulous advancement in their work. Yeah. yeah. I think also, I mean, in theater, it can work as long as the director 
is directed by an assistant director who he yeah. trusts implicitly yeah. to direct him, which again, in some cases, can be pretty rare yeah. to find that. Um, is this uh, this is my first year in the Hamilton Fringe? Uh, have you welcome? Uh, Thank you. Have you been to Hamilton Fringe Festival? A long time now. Yeah? The, my first participation, I wasn't a show in, but I was a volunteer in, mm -hmm. was in 2008, mm -hmm. I think, uh, was my first one. And I volunteered. And it was the first time I'd kind of, earlier that year, I'd heard about film or about Fringe Festivals. Yeah. A director friend of mine told me about them, and I was like, Fringe, that sounds like fun. Because I was, I was just out of school, and I was saying, what do I do next? And yeah. he was going, okay, well, you do this and this and this, and you talk to these kinds of people, and you try to get your name out this way. And he says, Fringe Festival is great. And I'm like, Fringe, Fringe, what is Fringe? Yeah. And he says this, and so I go on the website, I say, I want to volunteer. And that year, I was a maniac volunteer. I was there, I think, as much as, well, probably not, but three quarters of the time that the that the producers of the Fringe were there, yeah. I was there. Like, yeah. just because I signed up for, like, 30-some-odd shifts, which are, like, an hour long each, or something like that. That's the, that's the best kind of volunteer, though. That's the volunteer that's, like, gung-ho. That's the kind of volunteer that you want for... Because I wanted to learn, course, and I wanted to yeah. meet people, right? And, and I discovered that the best one was... Um, the best volunteer job was uh, was usher mm -hmm. because if you're a ticket taker, you take a bunch of tickets and then you slyly slide in the doors and yeah. you get to watch a show. Yeah, and I'm not sure if they still do it, um, but at that point in time, any shift you picked up at the fringe as a volunteer, they would give you like a little token, or maybe every three or something like that, they would give you like a little pass and you mm -hmm. could go see a show. Yeah. Um, it was a, it was a volunteer pass to see a show, and and so I would go and I would I would usher a show, um, and then I would see that show, and then I would go see another show with my pass. So like yes, yeah. I would double down, and so I saw a ton of shows that yeah. some really great stuff and some really appalling stuff, which is I think the best part about a friend. There is no better way to learn yeah. than to see some garbage, and and I've talked to friends about it, and our least favorite fringe experiences. Are the ones that were mediocre, that yes. where you're like, yeah, eh, it was neither here nor there. I didn't really care. I kind of fell asleep a little bit, but not, not. It wasn't so appalling. Our favorite experiences are the ones that blow our minds and move us, yeah, or the ones where we just want to yell stuff at the stage because we're going, I can't believe you put that on stage. Well, I mean, that, there's a certain passion to that. If you're if you're seeing something that's mediocre. Yeah. You have no pat. You're like, ah, this thing. But yeah. then if you hated it, you've got something to rant about. And if yeah. you loved it, you've got something to rave about. And those are the two extremes that I think would stay with us. Yes. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They do. It can be, it can be just, especially if all of your friends went to see the appalling show. Because then you can go, you can sneak off to what you hope is a safe yes. environment yeah. and go, boy, wasn't that terrible? And everybody else goes, yes, it really was. The, the danger with Fringe is that you don't always know where the safe environment is. Exactly. You almost have, that, have to have that conversation right now, a block away, before anybody gets to the Fringe Club. Yeah. You know, before yeah. anybody who could overhear T it. Tim Hortons is usually safe. Yeah. I Just because, <laughs> because, because artist types usually prefer like a... Like swanky or coffee shop, mm -hmm. you know, like they they prefer like something quirky or more offbeat yeah, or something like yeah. that. Like if you're going to the Fringe Club or or you're going, you know, here or there, the Mulberry Coffee Shop is around the corner and down James a little bit, and and it's uh, a favorite hangout of a lot of the the, the artist types in the area. Yeah. Whereas like a Tim Hortons is more mainstream, yeah. and so a lot of artists won't. That's it. There's one in particular on 
Uh, I'm giving away my, my, my places. <laughs> but, but there's one in particular on King Street, and it's kind of known as, like, the Biker Tims. Okay. Like, there's a lot of, like, sort of, like, biker chicks and biker dudes. Okay. And so nobody is in there <laughs> who can possibly and I've yeah. run lines in that Tim Hortons one time it was kind of fun a, a friend of mine we were and myself we were doing a production of Dr. Faustus last year uh, he was Faustus and I was Mephistopheles and we went into this Tim Hortons and we just did them did the lines um, at a table in the yeah. Tim's it was very odd and very fun um so your first uh, fringe experience was a volunteer volunteer yeah um what was your first what did you do for your first non-volunteer? Uh, so, non-volunteer was the next year, so it would have been 2009. Yeah. By my reckoning, I could be wrong, but um, 2009, and it was a play called A Modicum of Freedom, which I had written, and wound up being in sort of by accident. Yeah. And it was basically because I didn't know a lot of people in the area, and so even when we held auditions, we only got a very small handful of people out to auditions. Right. And so by the time it came down to cast uh, parts, the director and I... Oh, I was talking to the director and we were like what about this guy what about and and I said you know I, I can do it yeah. um, I'll do it and part of that was a kind of a, I guess it was I suppose it was a trust issue where yeah. I'm just like it's the first play that I'd written that was going up in front of people uh, solo written I'd done some stuff co yeah. in school but um, and, and, and so I said I want this to be the way that I want it to be and, yeah. and, and whatnot. so I did that yeah, it can be really hard to give up that um that can, like the, it, it can be hard, but when but when you do it, it can yield wonderful results. Yeah. Because because an actor, if you get a good actor, that they, they are a creative force in a in a different mindset than you. And so you know, for instance, I did a Christmas show last year uh, called Miracles Don't Come Cheap, and I remembered specifically one line in particular um, in in that show where I nearly put in a parenthetical mm-hmm. in the script. I nearly said sarcastically. Right. And I thought, you know what? It's up to the actor to do it how she wants. I took it right out. And wouldn't you know it, uh, in rehearsals, the actor said it very genuine and heartfelt, and I, it, it still worked. Yeah. It would just became a totally different moment, and I thought, what a wonderful thing to be able to see a moment that you had one way in your head yeah. work at a totally different way on stage yeah. that you never would have gotten if, 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 if you were micromanaging and controlling and tried to beat it into them and add all these little stage directions that manipulate them and, and yeah. control them. And so if you get a great actor yeah. doing your work, or even one with just that's, who's a good actor but has a radically different perspective than you, You'll come up with stuff that you never would have imagined yeah, for your script. Yeah. yeah, and that's—I mean—that's kind of magic that you can yeah. put words on a page and have somebody else see them entirely different. Yeah. but it still works. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's 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 gold. And to me, that's the best thing. One of the best things about about theater is that it is not like a novel is one person usually. There's sometimes there's two, and to some extent, you've got an editor kind mm-hmm. of helping coax them along. But it's one person's vision. Mm-hmm. A painting is. One artist yeah. is, is putting paint... Again, usually, I imagine that there might actually be double painters somewhere. Yeah. And I know some painters that like Michelangelo employed and Rothko employed um, uh, assistants to yeah. help them. But they would do stuff like prep canvases. It's yeah. not like they were doing the Sistine Chapel right. roof. Maybe they were. I don't know. I don't know that much about Michelangelo. <laughs> His last name was Buonarroti. I did not know that. There we go. I did a project on him in high school, and I remember, <laughs> I remember a couple little, little pieces of detail. Um, anyways, he went blind painting the Sistine Chapel, hmm. for instance. Um, but I got uh, way off track. <laughs> Most artists, artistic disciplines are one person's vision, but mm-hmm. there's a, few, a handful of disciplines that are... 
that have to be collaborative. Theater has to be collaborative in a, only with a couple of rare instances otherwise. Even one man or one woman shows, one person shows, usually have a director. Sometimes they even have three. They've got, well, there's one writer, there's one performer, and there's one director. Sometimes it's all three the same one, but a lot of times it's multiple people's vision. Yeah. A designer came in, a set designer, a choreographer, somebody else came in to put their own unique spin on it and to put their own thing, and, and I love that. Yeah. Because it kind of, it helps to remind you. It's a very, I think it's a very easy uh, profession to be in and allow your ego to, to coil around you and choke the life out yeah. of you. And, it, and, and nothing is better for you than to remember that it is not your sole work. I actually find that, that as far as theater is concerned, it's one of the reasons why I have difficulty writing uh, in another style because I'm so used to theater writing where yeah. it's my job as a, as a writer to leave empty spaces for somebody else to fill in. Absolutely. You know, I don't give, I don't describe the set because the designer will do that. I don't tell the actor everything yeah. they're going to do and everything they're feeling because they figure it out. Yeah. Um, what's, what's your your theater background? When did you first get interested in theater? Um, I, I, I've been interested in, my, my interest actually started, I wanted to be like a comedian, like a, a sketch comedian in particular. Mm-hmm. I would have been around 14 or 15 whenever young boys are discovering Monty Python, yes. and I did, um, and thought, oh, that, if that's a job, <laughs> um, yeah. if, if, if there's a penguin on the telly and, and this parrot is not, is dead, and if, if that's a profession, yeah. I want that profession. Yes, absolutely. And, and so I, I, um, the obvious thing to study then is theater because I don't think they, they might offer them somewhere, but there's no real dedicated bachelor degree to be had in sketch comedy. There's, I think Humber College has a comedy course. They might do, but they're yeah. they're like the... A rare, rare one, right? Anyways, even, even, even if there was... Uh, I feel like that's a, that's limiting yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I, I th- thought theater should be what it... And somewhere during my theater training, I was doing a show called... Um, it was three letters, NZR. We pronounced it Nezer. And, um, and during that, it was a collective creation piece, and it was totally new and totally radical and bizarre and weird and fun and difficult and challenging. And I went, you know, it's just as much fun tapping into the weird, the wild, the wonderful, and the dramatic as it is tapping into the comic. Mm-hmm. Tragedy is just as much fun. And I thought, and for, basically that was, I think I was already leaning towards this general performance at that time, but that yeah. was kind of the the straw that broke the camel's back. That was the, mm-hmm. the point at which I went, yeah, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be a theater creator, not a sketch comedian. Sketch comedian still on the table, perhaps, yeah. but, uh, but I want, at that point I was like, no, writing and acting and performing and Yes, theater um, creation. I mean, when did you start writing? Uh, I, Around the same time? Or? No, I started, the first thing that I wrote theatrically was actually before I went to university. Uh, my dad's a pastor, and so at the church, they, the youth group wanted to do a play. And that was like all they knew. Oh. And they had heard they had heard that I had interest in this kind of like theater acting performance type stuff. And so they said, Do you, do you want to try to write it? And so I said, Yeah, because when you're sixteen you have nothing but hubris. <laughs> um, hubris and the illusion of invulnerability, which yes. is which is an offset of hubris. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's just more hubris by a different name. And so I said, yeah. And so basically what I did was I read a couple of I think Shakespeare plays because he was 
one of the only playwrights that I knew the name of. Of course, yeah. Because I'm a teenager and I'm dumb. Um, and so it was a five-act structure, and it's like I, I based it like the format was based off of whatever Shakespeare volume I had, my parents had in the house. So all this kind of stuff, um, and that was what I wrote. I wrote an adaptation of the Book of Job, <laughs> okay. which I actually recently dug out. I think a year and a half ago. And, uh, and I was flipping through it, and I was like, you know, a lot of this is quite naive in its execution, but some of it is surprisingly not that bad. Yeah. I mean, if I really went through it, I would probably cut it from its, like, 50-page length <laughs> down to about, like, 25. Right. Which I, which I also did recently with another script that I'd written a while ago, and it was 44 pages, and I just, I just going through it, just reading through it and cutting whatever I felt was unnecessary, I, like, whacked it down to 21. Yeah. Just like that, just because I was a, such a different writer than I was four years ago. That's also, I mean... You, it's easier to do when you have distance from something. Yeah. But if you like, I find it so hard to do with something that I'm about to perform. But I've whittled away so much from my own. Yeah. Production, um, and really because I'd be like, okay, I really like this piece. I really like this bit. Does so if I really like it, what's the what's its reason for being there? Like, does it add to the structure, or is it yeah. still is it just something that's there because I like it? Yeah. Oh, cut. And, and I've and I've heard the old adage, uh, "Kill your darlings." Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things it's, it's kind of a similar thing. One of the things that I like to do when I'm stuck while writing is I write down my top ten list of things that could never happen in this script. Mm. And nine times out of ten, when you do that, you go, "Boy, numbers three, six, seven, and nine look pretty good." <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually I did it for the for the fringe show that I was yeah. working on. As soon as I came up with my first outline of the show, I wrote down four or five things that can never happen in the show, and literally one of them, and I won't reveal which one because yeah. it actually would reveal a plot twist. Yeah. But but uh, but one of them I actually did do. <laughs> I wrote I, one of the things that I wrote down could never happen in anybody else. I did that thing. Right. Um, I think on my second draft. Nice. Yeah, um, have you have you been to other fringe festivals or just just Hamilton? I've been to Toronto's fringe uh -huh. festival a few yeah. times. Um, I've both performed there and and just gone as an audience member as well. But uh, I think that's that's pretty much it. Um, I always mean to get out and see London's fringe, mm -hmm. which is another one that's in reasonable proximity yeah. to me. Like Ottawa and Montreal are kind of far away. Unless I was going to bring a show there, it's hard for me to commute into Ottawa and see a bunch of shows. You can't just go there for a day. It's like, exactly. Well, could, but I mean, what, like, yeah, I guess you could. Yeah. You'd have to really want to go. You really have to want to go. Like, <laughs> yeah. I might go to Montreal, but I've been to Montreal Fringe, and I know what Montreal Fringe yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 I think uh, Kitchener has one now as well. Oh, cool. Um, so. I feel like I should get out and see them, but it's the kind of thing where... And the other thing is, leading up to the Hamilton Fringe, I'm super busy. Yeah. So when Kitchener Fringe is going on, I'm like, I don't, I don't think that I have time to drive out there no. just it, because I'm editing and rehearsing and memorizing and absolutely. Uh, trying to convince my child not to eat a crayon and you know, <laughs> just yeah. whatever else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard because the festivals all sort of go... In a row. In a row. Which is convenient for the performers because if you get into multiple festivals, and, and they, they're really good in the, the CAFF, the Canadian Alliance of Fringe Festivals, yeah. where they line them up so that you can go, with a couple of exceptions, and there's some hiccups here and there, but you can mostly go like east coast to west coast, just like one after the other, like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And if you if you've by some miracle got into all of them, you actually could do all the fringe shows. You, there are a couple of conflicts. There's, I mean, I think that Calgary and uh, Saskatoon happen at the same time. Yeah, there's, there's as I said, like there's a couple of bumps. But generally, you could start in Montreal, 
go right across to Victoria. Vancouver. I think even Halifax. I, I think Halifax you can start is, in Halifax. Halifax. The Atlantic Fringe happens in the fall. Oh, in the fall, okay. Mostly. So that sort of they they're their own little circuit. So you can sort of push across and then go back. Right. But each fringe is so different. Yeah. And each fringe has its own yeah. personality. That it's, it's kind of fun to, to get out. And you'll never know it in a day. No. But you really know it if you get to perform there. Like if yes. you get to perform there, you'll know that friend very well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Montreal, you ever get a chance to do a show in the Montreal Fringe? I, I would love, I would jump because, uh, because I've never been to Montreal and I would love to go. It is, of all of the fringes that I've been to, and I've done, I've done Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Montreal is by far the warmest fringe. Like, the most welcoming and, yeah, the, yeah. and the warmest fringe. I would recommend that one. You know what, I, I won't, I, I, obviously because I haven't been, I have no experience, I won't knock Montreal. I think, in my opinion, I think you're going to find Hamilton to be pretty warm, too. Cool, that's good. Um, now, some of that is my opinion as a native. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I live here, so maybe that's my perspective, but... Um, but the first couple of years of doing it, I remember thinking, yeah, this, they're very, very nice and very accommodating. And particularly if you make even a small effort to plug in on like yeah. the Facebook group, which you have been doing, which yeah. is how I heard about this, um, uh, the, the people w- are willing to... to and, and there's a lot of people that are willing to, to just like let you come and see their show, for instance. Yeah. like yeah. Every year I, I'll offer standby tickets to artists so they have to wait until like 10 minutes before the show time if it's sold out they're yeah. out of luck but um, but if it's not then artists will get in for free because yeah. I very much believe that if you're here at the Fringe and I'm here at the Fringe let's screw it let's see each other's shows one of the fa- my favorite things that I've ever seen at a Fringe was a guy in a line he was flying a line yeah. and he's talking to someone and he said I can't go to your show because I already got tickets for this show and the guy was like well, well when can you go see the show and the guy said, okay, I can go at 2 o'clock. And the guy said, okay, so 2 o'clock, there's this show and this show. What do you like? And he, like, helped this person choose a show from the shows that he'd seen. Yeah. Your biggest promoters at a Fringe Festival are other, other performers, which I think is amazing. I, I've, I've done that. Yeah. I've done that. People, people have said to me, like, I, I, you know, I'm coming to see your show on Saturday and what looks good, and I'll tell them, you know, this and this and yeah. this. Yeah. Um, I like to open it up to the audience at the end of every show and say... Does anybody here have a show they want to plug? Yeah. You know, because, you know, we're all in the same boat. We're all looking to draw audience. And the last thing I want is to create an environment where we're all bludgeoning each other, trying to take each other's audience. No, let's share them around. Let's make sure that it mixes up. Going going into Montreal Fringe, somebody said um, there is audience enough for everyone. Yeah. And I do believe that. Yeah. I believe that not just about Fringe, but about any theater in general that um, we that we don't need to covet our audience because our audience would go to see other indies yeah. and also still be our audience. Especially know? at Fringe where Absolutely. it costs you less than $15 to see a show. Yeah. Um, you can see four or five and still not have hit the, the premium seat pricing of some of the bigger theaters. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and then again... At a maximum running time of an hour and a half, unless you're looking at some of the bring your own venues yeah. or something like that, which theoretically could go longer, though yeah. I don't think they ever really do. Not usually. But you know, at, at an at, at most of them are an hour. It's not even a big time investment. No, I actually find that that for me, there's there's sometimes been a barrier at the 90 minute mark. Yeah. So if I'm going to see a 90 minute show, um, I sort of like 
at the 60 minute mark, that's when I'm sort of like starting to get antsy because of the fringe. I'm so used to seeing the hour long stuff. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of 90 minute stuff that really didn't need to be 90 minutes. Yeah. But um, it, like at, at an hour for $10 or under $15, you, even if it's not awesome, you haven't missed all that much. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and, and and even then, a lot of the ninety minutes are well, actually around seventy-five or eighty minutes, so yeah. that's not too bad. But you're right; if when it starts to drag, it starts to drag. Yeah, uh, you refer to yourself as a, as a Hamilton native. Are you a person who was uh, born here and lived here for like many years? I, I've lived here for a long time now. That's why. That's why I say I'm native yeah. here. I'm not native here in that I was not born here. I did not grow up here. Um, but I kind of have roots here because my mom grew up in Dundas, so that's right next door. Yeah. Um, and my dad grew up, I'm trying to remember if they actually lived in Dundas or if it was just an area, but also grew up in the area. And then they both moved, or he moved to, to uh, Tobacco at some point, I think. And, uh, but, but they started out here, they went to high school together here. And, uh, and hung out, you know, I, I remember driving with my dad at some point recently in the last like four or five years down Martin Street. And he commented, oh, such and such a bar is still there. I would have thought that had closed by now. And, yeah. you know, like this kind of stuff. So he still remembered the area. And, and they still have friends in the area where they would say, their friends would say, what are the kids up to? And they say, yeah. Jody and Ryan bought a house in the North End. And, and their friends would go, oh, really? And mom and dad would have to go, it's changed a lot <laughs> <laughs> since we were kids. <laughs> um, they're like, no, no, they're safe because immediately, and there are still sections of the North End that are yeah. quite um, forbidding, let's say. Yeah. Um, where we are is, is, is lovely. But um, yeah, they, mom and dad would have to say, no, no, they're, they're fine, they're safe. Is, uh, what, what brought you to Hamilton? Uh, I went to school at Redeemer, which is a little tiny university in Ancaster. Um, and uh, my wife got a job working in um, St. Joe's Hospital here, she's a nurse. Mm-hmm. And so we just kind of went, let's hang around and see what's good. Mm-hmm. And from there, it became a very convenient location because I get work out in Cambridge Kitchen or Waterloo. I've gotten the occasional work in Toronto. Uh, I get a lot of work in Hamilton. And you, it turns out you can get a lot of places from Hamilton. Right. So Toronto's a major theater hub. That's a 45-minute drive. Kitchener, it, uh, I, I found a surprising amount of work out there. Uh, that's a 50, 60 minute drive. Yeah. Um, Hamilton is right here, so there's a lot of access. Yes, yeah. Yeah, to a lot of locations. So that's why I guess I've, I've kind of stayed here. And on top of that, it's, it's been a really, really great town. Yeah. Um, like it is, I, I got a friend uh, who describes it as the, either, it's either, he says it's either the biggest small town in the world or the smallest big town in the world. <laughs> um, and, and I would tend to agree, and I, I actually have described it before as like, when you watch a movie, mm-hmm. non-mainstream, little B-movie, independent kind of thing, but it blows your mind, and you start telling all of your friends like you were hired to do promotion for the thing. Yeah. I find that Hamilton is kind of like that. You get here, and you're like, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. There's a lot of cool indie art movements mm-hmm. going on. There's art, Wait, art crawl? What? Super crawl? Like, you start going gonzo about yeah. all this stuff going on here, and you start telling everybody, like, no, no, no. It's got its own cool vibe that you got to come check out. And that, I mean, that's something that I think a lot of people don't know. Although people from Hamilton have been like talking about that for yeah. quite a while, but if you don't, if you're not from here and you're not really plugged you, in, you wouldn't know about it. And you've got to make a little bit of an effort because I've had I've had talked to people who have come in for one project and they basically they come in 
they do the show, whether it's a rock show or yeah. a theater show, and they kind of commute home every day, and you talk to them, and they're like, yeah, it's kind of scuzzy and whatnot, and you're like, yeah, it's just because you just drove through. Yeah. You didn't take a look. Yeah. Um, and if you take a look, you find neat stuff. And I'm kind of convinced that anywhere you go, if you take a look, you'll find neat stuff everywhere. You'll find great yeah. people and great stuff going on. And yeah, every city's got its downsides, but you're going to find some interesting things going on. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I think it would be... I would be surprised if there was a city in the world that didn't have something gunning for it. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And I would include the most run-down, plague-infested, tragic, third-world kind of city. I would yeah. say there's something there. Yeah. I bet you not everybody lives here just because they grew up here. I yeah. bet you some people live here because they believe in this place oh, I for a reason. I know people who, who've come here. Yeah. I know people who've come here for the for the arts community and yeah. for for all that stuff. So I know that I know that, that happens. I'm really I'm really kind of excited to see it. Um, because coming from Toronto there's a certain like there's a certain idea of what Hamilton is. I've so, I've run across that idea. Course, I've talked to a lot yeah. of Hamilton artists. The, one, of the, one of the weirdest things is every now and then you tell people that you're an artist in Hamilton. This, this hasn't happened to me in a while now. But you tell people you're an artist in Hamilton and they go, do they have arts there? <laughs> As though for some reason, like, the geographical location was anathema to culture. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, well, we I mean, do. The, the funny thing is that, is that I mean, when, you, when you're thinking from a, a, a kind of an elitist point of view, that's, that's obviously something you would think. But then when you... When you really sort of sit back and think about yeah. it, culture comes from the place. Yeah. And that's why each place's culture is, is unique. So, of course, the culture in a place like Hamilton is going to be different from, yeah. like, Toronto or somewhere else. But that's kind of what makes it cool. Yeah. And, and I, don't get me wrong. I don't mean to say... I don't mean to say that like Toronto are a bunch of jerks no, or anything like that. I don't mean to say that it, that it's snobby. I, I think that a lot of times it was just that they just didn't know about it. Yeah, it wasn't coming from a place of arrogance. It was just coming from a place of like, I mean, if you exist in the arts scene in Toronto, you're it's that's got to be a twenty four hour a day yeah, that occupation. Becomes your 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 garden. That's your world. So you don't look outside of that very often. Exactly. There's no need to go anywhere else yeah. because it's it's quite fulfilling in its own right. So then when you kind of when you kind of walk out of there for a little bit you're like, oh right. There would be other hubs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and and again I don't mean to I, I don't mean to say this it's naive or it's ignorant or anything like that. I just think that it's just because you, you you wouldn't need to look any further if you're looking to satiate your artistic drive, whether it's creating or, or just or just consuming culture. You don't need to go more than a block. No. no <laughs> so I think yeah. it can be a good thing to look outside of ourselves, though. It's a great thing. You know, it's a um, good idea. Yeah. Look, and then especially look to a place that's closer than we think. Yeah. And and I had a I had a guy. Uh, I've had people be very surprised at how close it is. Yeah. And I've also had I had one guy who was surprised at how far it was. <laughs> I, I was I was giving him a ride back. Uh, we we'd been in uh, Toronto doing a, a show, and uh, he was coming down here uh, to stay overnight for a couple of days. And he said, "Do you mind if I catch a ride in with you?" And I said, "Sure, absolutely." And so we're driving back, and he was like, "How far is it?" And I was like, "It's like a forty-five minute drive." And he's like, "No kidding." He he had Ham for some reason geographically he had Hamilton 
basically in the same place as like Mississauga, Etobicoke, like yeah, or yeah. Vaughan, yeah. or like he yeah. thought it was like a suburb almost, oh, okay, um, yeah. like right abutted up against it. And and uh, and he admitted that he was like he's like I'm from the East Coast, and so I wasn't really aware of the ge- geography of the area. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and then I and then I, I joked and I laughed and I said, you know, when we get to Hamilton, you're going to see a lot of scooters. And he was like, what? <laughs> And I don't know if you've noticed it, but there are a lot of those little, um, like, rascal, uh, um, they're, like, for, for, for old people to get yeah, around, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Tons of them. I, I noticed that on, uh, I, was, I was in town for the last uh, art crawl. Yeah. And uh, I, was, I came in a little early, and I noticed that. Tons of them. Like, yeah. I was like, why are there so many? Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> It's part of Hamilton. It's like it's like the Tiger Cats yeah. and and the Art Crawl. It's just there are scooters. <laughs> <coughs> um, do you have a favorite part? Favorite thing about the Hamilton Fringe? Um, I, I would I would point back to what I said earlier about it. It's just very accommodating. It's very yeah. friendly. Um, I really I really like that. Um, it's nice to see it um, bubble up. It's been growing seemingly exponentially the last few years, mm. which is kind of nice. I like that it's that it's big. There's a lot of stuff going on, and yet it's not overwhelming. Yeah. You know, you go to Toronto, and there are what, like 150 shows. Yeah. And that's besides the art exhibits and the musical demonstrations and whatever's going on at the Fringe Tent. And there's tons of stuff. Yeah. And that's fantastic. But you've got no hope of seeing it all. I actually know a guy. I'm pretty sure since the Fringe's inception, uh, Tom is his name. He goes to every show every year. I don't know how he does it, <laughs> but he must sit down and, and come up with his schedule for the rest of the, of the, the entire 10 days, and yeah. he sees everything. And you, it's, would, you would have to have like a very careful Meticulous. Yeah, absolutely. You have no time to waste. Exactly. Um, um, and it's great talking to him at the after party. You go to the Fringe after party, you, you sit down with him, because you go, what was the best show? What was yeah. the worst show? What did you love? And I love asking people what the worst show was. I don't know why. It's Maybe it's schadenfreude, maybe it's professional jealousy, but there's something about it just being like, what did you hate? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's and some years it's a different one for everybody, mm-hmm. and other years everybody says it was this one. <laughs> it's funny because you know I don't. I mean I I look at I mean Toronto has its own. The Hamilton Fringe can be intimidating for many different reasons. Yeah, yeah. But having been to the Winnipeg and Edmonton Fringe. Which are huge. Yeah. The Toronto Gargantuan. Like, yeah. yeah. The, the Toronto Fringe is like, oh, that small thing. Because, yeah. Because the Edmonton Fringe is like, I don't know, like 300 companies. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculously huge. But and I imagine there's exponentially more peripheral events as well. Oh. There's, I mean, there, you can you can actually go to the, when, sorry, the, the Edmonton Fringe and some people go for the buskers and yeah. the food tents. So yeah. that's what that's they go it. for. Yeah. And and the fact that there's a theater festival as well, they don't even notice. Yeah. But it's and, there's and I love watching everything. I love watching them grow. Um, but I do still like and I, I do still like a um, let's call it like maybe like a manageable bite. Yeah. Well, I was actually I mean I hadn't actually taken the time to really like look at what the venues are. Yeah. And I sort of went through it today, and I was like, oh wait, there's really, aside from the BYOBs, there's really four venues in Hamilton, about four, plus the, the BYOBs, plus the miniseries. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, and that's that's a manageable fringe. Yeah. That's like most of them. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing about most of them were walking distance, and yeah. I was I was laughing to myself because. Um, a friend of mine quoted a comedian today or no it was my dad yesterday who said was quoting a comedian who said you know if you have the time anywhere is within walking distance <laughs> that's true um, but that said most of the, I think you could you could hike from one venue from the furthest venue to the furthest venue probably like 20-25 minutes yeah the only one that seems that feels really far to me is the staircase and that's from, a BYOB here. yeah, that, and yeah. that's a BYOB um, and, and last year uh, they were involved as a BYOV too and this year they've basically done the same thing yeah. which is that not just that they are a BYOV but that there are like a half a dozen shows there yeah. Yeah. and so it kind of becomes its own like little mini hub yes yeah. there was a touring show that I did a while ago do we have, do we have to move for sound reasons we might, we might have to just uh, do a pause and We'll keep it running. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, there, there was a touring show that I did a while ago. We went up to Thunder Bay. And Thunder Bay is one of these places where two cities existed, and eventually their borders expanded until it was one city. Okay. And you kind of wound up with two downtown cores, which were sort of like rival to one another. Right. Now, I didn't sense a big rivalry between... The, the downtown Hamilton Fringe venues and the staircase. Okay. Um, but the staircase became its own kind of like it's a second main hub. You know, last what's, year. what's kind of interesting about that is that there was a similar thing that that happened in uh, the in the Toronto Fringe a few years ago. There was a venue called uh, Bread and Circus. Yeah. And Bread and Circus sort of ran its own uh, fringe venue where. Um, they did what Staircase did. And yeah. sort of they became their own hub and they had their own little festival. They were their own little venue. And you know what? In in most fringe festivals in, in Canada, that's not unusual. Hmm. That's um, in Edmonton, there's La Cité and, and uh, so the, school, the, the French school is its own venue with two theaters. There's all these venues and they're curated. Yeah. So somebody applies to those. And so people did this for, for that one too. And after a couple of years, the Toronto Fringe's response to that was to make that impossible. To so you couldn't do that anymore. You had to if you're going to do if you're going to do BYOV, you had to show that your show could only be done in that location. Yeah, and and this year is the first year that the Hamilton Fringe made a distinction on applications mm-hmm. between a BYOV and, and a, a site specific. Yeah. And I actually yeah. really like that model where they say you can have a BYOV. Or you can have a site specific, or both, I yeah. suppose, in a way. But um, but yeah, you you can say, and and I think that that's great because it allows for maximum possibilities. Yeah, it allows for somebody to do that. There, there's definitely a lot of possibility. There. You have a lot of there's a lot of choice there. I know yeah. um, in in some of the cities where they do, you know, that this style of BYOV, the some of the people's favorite shows end up being at the BYOV. Yeah. like that yeah. becomes the place to go, uh, partially because. In some cities, like in Edmonton, for example, there's so many shows yeah. that, and it's such a crapshoot. Some people are just not willing to go through the crapshoot of, is this show in a regular venue yeah. going to be any good, or do I go to this curated venue yeah. where I know that it's going to be good? And I'm not sure exactly how uh, Colette, Colette mm-hmm. Kendall runs the yeah. uh, I I'm not sure exactly how she picks those shows. Yeah. 
Um, my understanding is that a lot of them just approached her, and so I'm not sure exactly what kind of judiciary process she yeah. has for, or if she just says, yeah, here's the here's the cut that I get yeah. and come on down. I don't know what that is. Yeah. But um, uh, because I've never never done that yeah. option. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Not that I yeah. wouldn't, but just that I, I haven't. You haven't had to, yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I don't really know what her deal is exactly mm. how... Um, selects those, or if she even does select them. Yeah. What, what venue is, is your show in? Theater Aquarius. Theater the Aquarius? Aquarius venue. Um, that's, I mean, that's that's the biggest venue in the, in the Fringe, isn't it? That, in terms of uh, uh, seating? I don't know, because it, it, it's, it's not, uh, we're not in the main space. Okay. Uh, they don't do that. They do the black box theater okay. there. So that seats, uh, it's got a 75 seat capacity, okay. and they okay. have the potential to add more. Okay. Um, which I have had the uh, wonderful fortune mm. to be able to do it. That's good. Uh, I, yes. when, I, when somebody says that their show is at Theater Aquarius, I, in my mind, it's like in like the main, in the main, the main space. The main space. That space would area. that would kill you. Yeah, at, no. because it's at, that's like a, I think it's like eight hundred seats yeah. or something like that. You, you, you would die because a, a, a decent fringe audience, not great, but a decent fringe audience, you can get by with like 30, 40 people. Yeah. In in an eight hundred seat theater, no. you're dead. No. They they did use that space one year. But they didn't use the main audience. Mm-hmm. They built risers. Well, they didn't build them, but mm-hmm. they, they put in risers uh, and made a three-quarter thrust stage on the stage. Okay. So everybody, audience and performers, were all on the stage, um, and they just they did it that way, which worked as well. In, in Winnipeg at the, uh, the Manitoba Theater Center, they do use the main space, but they curtain it. Yeah. So that instead of, like, 800 seats, you have, like, 250, which is still... That's still immense, shit. yeah. Like yeah, that's, yeah. you know, when that's you're doing the show, it is intimidating. But if you can feel it, great. But man, if you can't, if you get like what is a would be a generous fringe audience. Oh yeah, if like you got thirty like, people, uh, feels like nothing. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm at a seventy-five seat venue. Yeah. If I get a hundred people, they have to add chairs. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that would be a that would be I'd be over the moon. Absolutely. A hundred people in a two hundred and fifty seat house is less than half. That's uh, yeah. And particularly, I do a lot of comedies. If you if you're packed in, yeah. elbow to elbow with with a bunch of other patrons, all loving it, and you're all laughing, yeah. nothing is better for comedy, and nothing is worse than when you're all spread out, yeah, you're not near anybody, yeah. you don't feel like laughing, and it kills every joke, yeah, and no. you just want to die. Like, and and a lot of the, a lot of good fringe houses are like twenty to thirty. Yeah, in a big venue, that's. I, I've heard it said that, that, that a good, a good, a decent opener, you're okay if you open to like 20, 25 people. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, it's got a bill, but that's you're okay yeah. if that's the case. Um, and uh, and that's where I set my goal. Yeah. I want to open to 20, 25 people, and I always somehow manage to pessimistically convince myself that nobody's coming <laughs> on opening night. Well, I mean that that is the that is the you know. You don't know. Yeah, you've got no like way You don't going. know until until you get out on that stage. Yeah. Who's there? You can't really check the box office to see no. what the show's doing. No, you can't. Oh, well, maybe there's a way. I don't know. I've never asked. You know, in, in in Edmonton, it was the only place where you could. Yeah. And you could log in and see how many tickets you'd sold. I and fuck that. Like that destroyed. Like that destroyed it for me because you would end up like sitting there obsessively. Yeah. Checking how many people I, were coming to your show. I was supposed to say, I would hate that. I'm yeah. super glad to not have access or to think, at least believe, that I do not have access to those numbers because the worst feeling in the world would be logging and be like, how many people? One yeah, person no. for I the would, one show I have at 7.30. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, just... Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, uh, two years ago, um, we uh, we were offering artist uh, complimentary tickets, artist tickets. They just, they just had to, to email us mm -hmm. uh, and ask us for them. Now, we were very lenient. I would go yeah. up to the box office and I would say, hey, let people in anyway, yeah. even if they're not on my list. <laughs> let artists, if they're fringe yeah. artists, let them is in. There some kind of, is there like a fringe identifier, like an artist identifier? Or? No. It, it's, it's, they moved over to like a password system okay. re yeah. uh, recently. That's, that's pretty common, actually, in a lot of fringe festivals, the, the password. And, and I think that's why they did it. It's, uh, um, the, uh, three years ago, Claire Kalman started running the fringe. Um, and I think she was more familiar with uh, kind of Toronto models yeah. and, and other models. Yeah. Um, and she brought in a couple of uh, aspects of that. Like she got rid of the, it was their second year, I think, mm -hmm. that she got rid of the um, badges and just mm -hmm. moved it over to a password system yeah. and, and, and whatnot. Um, anyways, uh, so the, so last year, or two years ago, we had we had this system where you could just, you would just post a message on our fringe page, or on our Facebook page, yeah. and we would uh, put you on our list. Yeah. And as luck would have it, Nobody had done so. Like they just, for whatever reason, had not mm -hmm. had not done so. And so I had convinced myself that that meant that of all the artists that I know in the city, which is a bundle, none of them are interested in seeing my show. <laughs> which means, which means, if my friends, my nearest and dearest, aren't willing to see the show for free, that means nobody's, nobody's coming. Gonna see so it, yeah. I literally sat on my couch in my living room for I think like an hour or two in the afternoon just staring into space yeah. totally despondent yeah. absolutely had convinced myself that literally nobody and I don't I'm not one of these people who uses that word facetiously yeah, 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 yeah. I know that it means an absolute a truth yeah. literally I had convinced myself that literally nobody was coming to see the show that I would get there and they would go sorry we didn't sell any tickets yeah. I, what do you want to do yeah. and I'd be like well I want to go home and take up drinking <laughs> um, and then uh, somebody comes backstage it's opening night and I'm not looking I'm in the green room I'm like don't I don't want to go anywhere near the audience because yeah. if I hear so much as like one cricket I'm gonna yeah, uh, yeah, you yeah. Know, I'm gonna start measuring my neck <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and lo and behold our venue tech comes back and she says we have to hold we have to add chairs <laughs> we oversold and I and uh, then I had to calm down because I got so yeah. So giddy. Well, that's. I mean, that's your, your best case scenario, right? That there. was the best case scenario, I, and and it was it was quite a roller coaster that first. I day. had uh, I, there was a story uh, when I was in at the at the Winnipeg. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name. He had this drag queen character, and uh, he'd been there a year before, and he got this review that was so bad that nobody wants to see. Um, or at least like who, the main reviewer for. I think like I heard hated, about that. Like hated the show because I don't know he used bad language or something and like gave him the worst review. So the next year, knowing that he had to combat that, he was the hardest working guy I have ever seen. He was out every day, all day, and as part of his show, he would say, "Okay, so how many people, how many of you here are here because you saw me on the street today?" Yeah. And like ninety percent of the house yeah, raised yeah. their hands. And. That was a fast lesson that I learned oh, early yeah. on going to French yeah. festivals. If you don't hit those lines, hand out cards, shake nobody's people's coming. hands, nobody's coming. Yeah. You, well, your friends, your, your family, friends your, will, your, your mom's coming. Your mom will come, yeah, but that's not enough to, to, to... And your lead actor's mom is coming. You know, yeah. Like, but yeah, but nobody else. Yeah. And so, yeah, you've got to hit those lines. Yeah. And over the years, you know, you discover... This is something... I mean, I don't think over the years. I also discovered really fast, you can't do it inauthentically. Yeah. No. You, you can't pass it a bunch of cards and say, come see my show, come see my show, come see my show, it's great. 
and then like leave, nobody's coming. No. You have to talk to people. You have yes. to give them a reason. You have to give them a face because the difference between them coming and not coming is them caring about you. Yeah. It's it's funny because that's I mean for me that's the hardest part of, of absolutely is like going up and talking to people. Yeah, I hate that. Yeah, I mean I mean I often enjoy like one like once the conversation gets going like I have had some wonderful conversations and I met some wonderful beautiful people. Yeah, but it's but that initial walking up to someone absolutely and a conversation. Especially that moment when you know when you know it's all on the line. Yeah, and so you have to talk to all these people. And they're in a conversation, and you're like, boy, I feel like a real jerk. Yeah. But at some point, you kind of have to interrupt. And then, you have to win them over. You have to, it, that's almost a play in and of itself. Yeah. You have to interrupt people having a good time, having a conversation among friends. You're coming up to sell them something, and you have to make them like you in 30 seconds or less. Yeah. Or they are never coming to see your show. No, absolutely. They're actually going to, they're actually going to circle in the fringe guide and go, that guy was a jerk. I'm no, not exactly. coming to see your show. It, it's a, there's a fine line about walking up to somebody. And you know... And I've seen people screw themselves out of out of a ticket, out of yeah. a sale, by doing it wrong. I've seen Absolutely, them hit yeah. the line wrong. One of the most egregious examples was somebody who uh, tried to pass out their card while I was still talking to somebody Ooh. passing out my card, and should have known better. Like like knew who I was, and it's like just it's usually come around pretty later. Obvious that somebody is, is is like passing out a card. It's okay to go after them, but do not Absolutely. interrupt. No, it was it, it, and you could see it in the other person's eyes how rude they thought that yeah. person was being, even though they didn't know me and they didn't know this other person. It doesn't matter. They just went. Their well, first, that was that their was kind of rude. Now of that person is that he's a dick. Yeah. You know, that was kind of rude. So we're almost out of time, but I wanted to ask you uh, for your show. Are you? Do you are you? Well, were you personally? Are you on social media? You yeah. Website. We have both of those things. Uh, Make Art Theater has a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. From there, you can get to our website, but that would be makeartheater.weebly.com, um, and uh, and that will give you will get access to all of our up and coming shows as well. Great, um, because we'll be doing further projects down the line. Perfect. Check your local listings. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for for doing this. Thanks for being thank a you for, on my uh, my scheduling. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. 